Welcome back, financial feminists. Okay, have you ever been in a room with new people or people you really want to impress? Or maybe you're out on a date. Maybe this is a first date. Maybe this is a date with somebody that you've known forever. And you're wondering, how can I ask better questions? Like, How can I get past all of the like, the weather today was beautiful kind of bullshit and actually create real connections with people? Today's guest is here to not only assist you in that vulnerability, but to help you ask better questions so you can not only be the most fascinating person in the room, but also be the most empathetic person in the room. Danielle Robay is a TV host and journalist, creator of the video podcast Pretty Smart, and the best-selling card game Question Everything, 52 Cards for Deeper Conversation. You probably can't see me right now, but I have been living in her merch. We had a great conversation, and literally, I have not taken her sweatshirt off since she gave it to me. I wore it on the plane to get to New York. I've I've worn it two days in a row. This is my second day, and I've not washed it, and it definitely needs to be washed. You've seen Danielle on IMDb, NBC, E, Extra, Entertainment Tonight Online, HLN's Dr. Drew, The Steve Harvey Show, and NBC's First Look. And Defy Media, where her daily news segments and interviews received over 100 million views a month online. In 2016, she was named co-host of WCIU's Chicago-based two-hour live morning news program, making her the youngest morning TV host in Chicago's history. With a social media following of over 300,000, she's chatted with everyone from Taylor Swift and Michael B. Jordan, hello, to Helen Mirren and Tom Hanks. Even Larry King commented on her compelling interview style, quote, Danielle has the ability to make people feel seen. Danielle is one of those women who just like dazzles you with her wit, her intellect, and the way she communicates through thoughtful questions and compelling interviews. We dive into sexism in the entertainment industry, the future of journalism, how she moved to LA and networked with plants. Seriously, if you're looking for like a unique way to get your name out there, this episode's for you. And how she asks better questions to forge deeper relationships. I also always joke that I cry in every episode of Financial Feminist. And I cry in this one, but for a very, (laughs) very different reason. I have a full-on meltdown. And I don't want to spoil it. I I have a full-on involuntary freakout with Danielle, who is a complete stranger to me. And, um, oh, it's good. It, it's it's a good time. You're you're gonna want to listen at least <laughs> for that moment. So without further ado, I think you're gonna love meeting Danielle. Let's get going. I'm so excited to have you. Thanks. So excited to talk with you. I want to give you like right off the bat, what has been like your most memorable interviewer conversation or like give me like a couple. Yeah. And why were they so memorable for you? The first one that comes to my mind is Simon Cowell because. Um, is he really mean? No. So I love <laughs> he interviews. Really mean. He's not. He's actually the opposite. He's kind, charming, um, really like you could tell he cared about his staff and everybody in the room and was generous with every interviewer. He was one of my very first interviews. So I would um, like send people cookies and bamboo plants to try and get jobs because I didn't know anyone when I moved to LA. Love it. I mean, you got to hustle, right? And uh, people would email me back and be like, hi, Danielle, nice to meet you. Like we don't have any positions available, but keep in touch. And I would email them back and say, no problem. If you ever need anyone last minute, I'm available. Smart. And so you're top of mind, right? Top of mind. I would email every few months. And then one day I got a call at like 3 p.m. And a digital network said, our host is sick. Can you get to this place in Hollywood by 5 p.m.? And I was like, yes. So I go there. It's the X Factor red carpet. And Simon Cowell gave me an exclusive. And in turn, I got my first job. Like they ended up hiring me and I worked wow. for $25 a red carpet. <laughs> but without him and his sort of generosity and our like having connected with him, I don't know what would have happened. So, okay, walk me through that again. So yeah. you get the call. Hi, I need you to host a red carpet. Yep. Have you hosted a red carpet before that day? Probably like 10 of them. I had been working for free 
for this like random guy who I don't know. We're going to table that. We'll sort talk of about sketchy. that for a second. No, but like, ooh. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I had done a few. Uh, it's funny because I, I grew up in Chicago and I look back at those photos and I had no idea how to do my hair and makeup, no idea what to wear. And I went in, I was the most confident. I would go to these red carpets and I, I was it. like, I have the best questions. Looking back, like I was standing next to like Juliana Rancic and all these people who had like professional help and like put themselves together. And um, yeah, I think blind naivete is a really beautiful thing. I, I love that. Okay, so I one of my pet peeves, so I'm a pop culture junkie. This is going to be clear as we move oh, through this amazing. interview. I feel like one of my like beefs with interviewers is they ask the same three questions. It is the most boring thing of all time. I'm, and now as someone who is being asked questions by people, it seems like I get asked the like same three to five questions. What do you get asked? Uh, are, are you like you're making notes for like, uh, no, <laughs> like for how later. do I not ask her this? Tori's about to be on my podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very subtle no I feel like it's like what is financial feminism mm -hmm. tell me about your money story okay and then we were talking about this earlier but very similar yeah. like why aren't like why aren't women saving as much money or why aren't women yeah. doing this and it's like very yeah it's hard because on one hand you sort of have to reintroduce yourself to everyone you totally. speak to and on the other hand yeah. yeah I'm with you it's um I I also think there's different ways to ask questions tell me more about that like if I were to ask you about your story, yeah. I think a lot of people set up questions saying they don't ask specifics, I think is what I'm getting at. Okay. So they'll say, tell me your story. And it's like, that's, that's overwhelming. Also, it's a job it, interview question and it's the worst question. But it overwhelms like, where do you, your brain. Yeah. You're like, where do you, my, my personal story, my dating history, yeah. my, like, <laughs> My my medical chart, like, what do you want? I don't know what you want. Yeah, I that's true. I but I think it's it overwhelms you. Yeah. You don't know where to start. So if you get more specific and say, you know, Tori, where'd you grow up? Mm. And then, like, you know, what's your favorite thing about your mom that you really love about yourself that she passed on to mm. you? And yeah, um, what what's your first memory with money? I love that one. You know, like I think there are there's a these whole episode about really, that one. Yeah, yeah. There's just specifics that can give you the same information. Totally. Uh, that said, red carpets are a whole different animal because you're just trying to get sound bites, but I don't do them really anymore. So. so the goal for red carpets is not like, obviously, it's not like a let's sit down and like have an authentic conversation about your performance in this movie. Right. But it's so it's for sound bites. That's your motivation there. Even if it is, tell me about this movie, it's for a soundbite. Like I worked for IMDb, which is right. an awesome, it's a, it's for cinephiles. Like they don't want me to ask about your divorce, thank God. Right. But they do, I still have to get sound bites about the Batman movie and things right. that will do well online because mm. that's how the media beast is sort of run. Yeah, I'm that person that sits on IMDb while I'm watching a movie. If I'm at home, and oh I'm you like, do? Oh yeah, I'm like trivia. <gasps> You're know, a nerd. Oh, I know. Like I love for it. favorite movies, I'm a nerd too. I'm like I I yeah. I have so many favorite movies where like my favorite person in my life will watch them with me for the first time, and I'm like, you know, the scene in Ocean's Eleven where Brad Pitt is uh, eating a eating a shrimp cocktail. Mm -hmm. He ate that shrimp cocktail for ten hours. Like that's no. my fucking shit. Oh yeah. Because it was an all-day shoot. <gasps> he yeah. must have been so He sick. ate like 20. Well, the joke is in Ocean's Eleven is that his character Rusty is one of my favorite movies. He's he always is, eating. He's always eating. Yeah. Always eating. But it's the Vince Vaughn thing. Vince Vaughn, <laughs> any movie yes. he's ever in is always eating. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's like his comedy is yes. eating. Yeah. Always eating. Mm -hmm. Okay. So in terms of asking questions. Yeah. You've said that asking good questions is a superpower. Yes. How can we as non-journalists take good questions and make them applicable to our own lives? That's such a good question. Okay, I'm going to start with, I'm going to ask you a question before I give you All an right. answer. What do you think the number one complaint is after any first meeting, first interview, first date, first job interview? Complaint, like I'm being interviewed and I'm complaining? Yeah, or you go on a date. Oh, I didn't get enough questions about myself. Or I, I they did all the talking. They didn't, they didn't ask me any questions about myself. It's exactly it. Right. So personally and professionally, the Harvard Business Review did a study. The number one complaint is I wish they had asked me more questions. Interesting. Which which for people, a lot of people go into these situations very nervous too. So it's interesting mm -hmm. where they're like, you could go in nervous to a date or a job interview yeah. and then leave going, but I wanted to talk more or I wanted to explain more. Yeah. That's an interesting dichotomy. 
I think people just want to feel seen. Oprah has this great anecdote that at the end of every interview, even Obama will turn to her, the cameras turn off, and they go to commercial break, and every single person says, was that okay? Like, we just want to know that we're okay, seen, heard, validated. And questions to me, like, I actually think questions should be added as a love language um, because I think they really make you feel cared for. You're saying to me, I would rather be in conversation with you here, present, spending time with you, doing this more than I would rather be doing anything else. Mm. That's like, I, I know I'm like dork. I have chills. No, but like too. that's to I me. I literally have goosebumps. Like I think what's more loving than that? So um, I do. I mean, I'll give you a small sort of anecdote of how I discovered the power of questions because I actually didn't always feel this way or know about it. But uh, I got what I thought was my dream job. I, an entertainment outlet hired me. I was the youngest person they ever hired. I walked in. I was like, yeah, this is why I moved to L.A. I was like all ego. It, like this is what all the sacrifice was for. Yeah. I did it. Hell yeah. I got there. I hated the job. I would break out into hives, wow. cried in the bathroom at lunch. Uh, I heard so one of my old bosses called it the oh shit job. I don't, I hadn't heard that before. I haven't but, heard that either, but it makes sense. Yeah. Like I think a lot of people have the like oh shit job. <laughs> yeah. Right. Where you thought you wanted something, got into it and you're like. Yeah. And you're, you think it's going to be one thing and it turns out yeah. not yeah. to be. So I ended up quitting and I was living off my credit cards. Uh, don't tell Tori that. No. Nope. Uh, <laughs> what? I'm sorry. I just blacked out for five seconds. Yeah. It was, but to, uh, to, I think, a lot of your points that I've listened to in your interviews, not feeling in control of your money is incredibly anxiety-ridden. Yeah. So I was full of anxiety because of that. And I was like, I, I better make use of this time. So I took myself to grad school. I watched hundreds of hours of Robin Roberts, Larry King, mm. Katie Couric. I wanted to try and be the best. Yeah. And I looked at this Google Doc that I had written I'd interviewed athletes, celebrities, um, politicians, thought leaders, yeah. entrepreneurs, and I had a list of about 800 questions. And I thought, I've never, I ask questions for a living and I've never asked myself one. And this was pre-therapy. So I started asking myself about five or six questions a day. And by the end- Are you journaling? Or are you just thinking about it? Like what, you, what is your process for that? I love that you asked that. No one's ever asked me that. Oh. I would do it before I went to bed and I would think about it. Okay. In hindsight, I think journaling is actually probably more efficient. Well, and it's also, for me, what I've realized about journaling is it's like the reflection in the moment versus the like, you can, you know, one, it's cool because you get to reflect on it later. You get to, you know, in a year be like, oh, I was in that yeah. spot. But it's also the act of literally like ignoring that future you is going to read this and instead writing something that present you needs to get out, you know? Yeah. It's very therapeutic in that way. It is. I agree with you. I started doing it uh, more recently. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a big journaler now because, yeah, it cool. was just very therapeutic. But anyway, you were asking six to seven questions a night. Yes. And by the end, I was more interesting at dinners, more practice at asking questions. I actually felt more confident in myself. Mm. But the main thing that changed was... Like, to be perfectly honest, strangers were, like, magnetic to me. Hmm. And my relationships that I had that really mattered to me, like my friends and my family, I could tell that they felt closer to me. Because you had done work on yourself. And I started asking them these questions because they were top of mind for me. Yeah. And I was like, this really is a superpower. Like, all sort of jokes and, and hyperbole aside— it's a magnet for people and anybody can tap into it. And so that's why I, I launched this card deck, Question Everything, because I believe that everyone can tap into the power of questions. It's, it's like incredible. Yeah. I'm sure you know about it. The 36 questions that lead to love. Yes. Yeah, yeah. The New York Times ones. Obsessed with those. Have yeah. done them literally have on every date <laughs> started seeing somebody yeah it's still very early it's casual and nothing's happening yet okay. but it's like we first date because first it's date. like i'm done with the questions of like siblings this that oh. it's like well, you just get into are helpful, it. but like i know for a fact within probably a half hour of meeting somebody if that person's going to be even down to do it or not mm, yeah and like that honestly tells me like everything i need to know of like is this person 
interested and like let's crack this shit open yeah like let's start getting vulnerable like immediately and it, yeah you jump you you like pass the first six dates and you're like on date seven eight nine just because you're like yeah and I do these with friends I've done these with a lot of people I love in my life regardless of like my romantic connection to them of just like let's talk about some serious shit your house is on fire and you save your what is it your your family members and your pets what right. what one item are you saving you know yeah and they're even fun ones you know like right. one of the questions in my deck is do plants thrive or die in your care and thrive they thrive they, they do thrive. yes see they but die they in did my not. <laughs> they did not for a while because um a good friend of mine told me that the number one rule of plant parenting is to leave them the fuck alone and that's his quote is you, you leave them the fuck alone because mm. i would overlove them and then it was like, no, leave them be. They'll tell you when they need water. Because most plants don't die from underwater. They die from overwater. That's how I killed my succulents. Succulents need nothing. Leave them. Yeah, I don't touch that them. one. That's... Nope, that, I, I've killed so many plants before I got them right. Yeah. When I had my apartment, 45 plants in my tiny little one-bedroom apartment. Oh, my God. 45. 45. I have like four fake ones now. So No, they're good. I mean, regardless, it's like, it's fun. It's fun for me. And it was like a, a good transition into learning how to learning how to take care of something yeah okay so you touched on this before talk to me about some of those early years in Hollywood the like hustling the trying to break into this like really notoriously difficult industry yeah and what initially drew you to journalism so I went to college at the University of Wisconsin-Madison and I was a political science major cool and I loved it because it, I think it taught me how to think, not what to think. Ooh. Which, yeah. It's, that's I, a beautiful statement. Thanks. How to think, not what to No, that's very, that's very poetic. It's very thoughtful. Yep. It's, it's really how I felt. I, I think um, it informed a lot of the way I view pop culture now. Yeah. And uh, I had done like theater growing up. And my mom said to me, really? I'm a theater major. I, I always get along with theater kids and camp people. You know. Kristen's over here too. Kristen's our <laughs> podcast producer yes. over here, just pumping her fist. It's an inc people like do not give theater majors enough credit. Th thank you. I'm pulling away from the mic so I can scream. Thank you. It's incredible training. Yes. In so Think many on ways. your feet. Team player. Like good communicator. Good storyteller. People are shocked initially when they're like, "You're a financial expert and you're a theater." I'm like, "Yeah." Yep. Hundred percent. Because, like. Life is a little bit of a performance, even if you want to be completely authentic and yep. sincere, you know? Yep. Had a whole conversation with another guest about that last week. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm with you. Yep. Uh, I took a lot of theater classes in college, too. I, I love it. But uh, my mom said to me, to her credit, she was like, I wonder if you would like news. It kind of combines mm -hmm. your love of, like, being on camera and also uh, politics and news. Right. And I was like, okay, I'll try it. So, um, I lied because you couldn't get an internship unless you were a junior. And so I made a resume that said I was a junior and applied <laughs> to a bunch of news stations in Madison. And I got an internship. And so I would bus like three times a week to the Fox station and later the NBC station there. Wow. And uh, I, I fell in love. Like once, the first day, I have never turned back. I loved it. I loved the storytelling. I love. Mm. I always tell college kids, like, there's something that I wish people told me, which is, like, if you don't know what to do or you don't know what you're going to like, yeah. think about the people you want to be around. And so, like, think about yourself at a dinner with a bunch of influencers. Are those your people? If so, go try and be an influencer. Do you want to be with a bunch of accountants? Those are your people. Like, right. what do you want to When I'm in a newsroom, oh, those are my people. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So for you getting started in journalism much like myself now in the financial industry, I I feel like, well, journalism, there's probably, there's probably more women, but do you feel like there's not women at the top as much? Because yeah. I feel that way a little bit about finance. One, there's not very many women at all. And two, like very many, very few women make it to the top of like the traditional finance structure. And then there's unfortunately more and more now, but very few of us actually like getting the opportunities to talk about money. I don't want to misquote the exact percentage. I used to know it, but we can a, pull the stat too. Yeah, right. a significant portion. I want to say it's like sixty or seventy percent of uh, GMs, like general managers and news directors, are men. And so 
those are the people at the top of the food chain, like the executives. Right. Um, so while there are plenty of female journalists, there's actually not a lot of female executives in TV news or in written journalism. And I do think having worked in all different parts of TV and news that who you have in your newsroom informs the content yeah. that it, that's it that's why it's so important to have diversity of race gender ethnicity thought IQ experience all of it um because you're telling better and more diverse stories and so yeah there's a there's a big issue there there's also some sort of gap that happens between journalism school and actually getting a job like there are I think there are 50 something percent of journalism students are women but then only 40% or 30%. I have to get oh, the so exact like stats. Like there's a there's a 10, gap. 20% fall off or like don't get an opportunity. Yeah. There's a gap between hmm. school and being hired. Yeah. And I feel like from my understanding of journalism, especially like broadcast journalism. Yeah. And we know this from oh, what was the Margot Robbie movie on the Fox about Fox News? Couple, was it Bombshell? Is that what it was? Was so it the one with Tina Fey? No, 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 no. The one um, Charlize Theron. Oh, yeah. Bombshell. Remember? Bombshell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's which, so good. Which, yeah, it felt like, and I would love your thoughts about if you still feel it's this way, yeah. that if you are a woman or a female identifying person on camera, you don't just have to be good at your job. You have to be stereotypically attractive. Yes, fully. And that if you are not stereotypically attractive. Yeah that might mean less opportunities for you. Yes, 100%. Do you feel like that's still applicable now? I think it's gotten a little bit better because our idea of what is beautiful has expanded somewhat. But yes, that is very much the case. And also... And especially if you have men who are making those decisions. Exactly. Yeah. There's also like an element of pressure once you're in it too, because right, um, right. It doesn't. It's not just when you get the job. It's it's the continuation to be stereotypically attractive, skinny, made up all the time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I did a morning show in Chicago. I had to wake up at two forty five every morning. And like, what time were you in bed? Like seven. It was weird. But my male co-host got to wake up at like four forty five because I had to do hair and makeup. Right. So. Yeah, there's like those two hours, like sleep, study, get better at my job, like all those things that, and there's literally no choice. Like I had to wear heels. I had to do, it was in my contract. And the cost, financial and. Oh yeah. Of all those it's things. Huge. Yeah. I just wrote a section in my book talking about all of the things that had to go into the cover shoot. Yeah. That, you know, men get to show up and maybe they have, you know, suit and tie and maybe they get a haircut. I call it invisible hours. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. It's the financial cost. It's the hours. It's the time. It's the energy. It's all of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, you're so right. Okay. I want to talk to you about my least favorite question on the red carpet ever. Oh, I, I can guess. What is it? Something about like, what? Are, who are you wearing? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I've never asked that once. Thank God. Can it we is talk horrible. about... Okay. Talk to me. Tell me why that question is is bullshit. <laughs> Well, the question is bullshit for a few reasons. One, it's because, like, why would you, regardless of what the question is, why would you want to ask what everybody else is asking? Two, it's historically been gendered. So yes. now at least people are asking the men what they're wearing. What I've learned that made me hate that question a little less is that the fashion industry really depends on celebrities wearing their clothes. When I did my research around this, too, it was... I guess it started in the 90s. Joan Rivers actually was supposedly the first person to ask it. Right. And it was because, especially back then, nobody knew designers. Mm -hmm. And if you were going to tailor make an Oscar dress for a celebrity or for an actor or an actress, really, it was like it was their kind of salute or thank you or shout out because the fashion industry or the designer would not have gotten it otherwise. Exactly. Yeah. And so for that... I think fine. But right. isn't that what Instagram's for? Like tag the designer, shout them out. To me, the red carpet reporters don't need to be asking that. And historically, they were only asking women. And so right. men were being able, like we're talking about their movies and their films and women were talking about their clothes. Yep. Yeah. Well, and it feels, there was, I'm trying to remember who 
did it. There was like a push, like a very public push to stop asking that question. I think it, if I remember correctly, it started with the Me Too movement and Time's Up I think because so too. I think it was Natalie Portman was one of the people I think with Time's Up with. Yeah, I think the Golden Globes, they all wore black. Yeah. And then it was because like, don't ask me what I'm wearing. Ask me about Time's Up. Right. Which cool. But yeah. I'm like, how, how long is that going to last? I'm like, is that sustainable? I think people are changing. I think young reporters, even though the um, the people in charge are still a bit of like of a different generation, I think young reporters and when I speak yeah. to Gen Z, they change everything. Like they're so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Half, almost half of our team at her first 100K is like under the age of 23, really? 24. Yeah. You're so lucky. But I'm, I, it's so funny because I was so used to being the youngest person in the room and I'm 27, so I'm still pretty young. But it, it's been so funny because I'm saying the shit that people used to say about me and I hated it every time it would happen. And now I'm saying this. I'm, it feels like so old. I'm like, why am I doing the shit now that That's I used funny. to hate? Yeah. I hate when people would do that to me. There's uh, Oprah always says for her whole life she wants to be both a student and a teacher. And I think about that, too, because like with your team, you're probably learning from them and teaching 100%, them. 100%. 100%. Learn something new from them all the time. Yeah. So you had mentioned already this kind of like, I am going to be the squeaky wheel that gets the grease. And we're alike in that way. I'm like, mm -hmm. politely, but I will be the squeaky wheel until you give me some grease. Yeah. At the same time, we hear the word network a lot. And we're like, what the fuck does that mean? So it's very much a buzzword that I don't know how many people can actually define. Mm -hmm. Can you define it for us? And what sort of strategies do you either recommend or what sort of stories, things that you did that ended up furthering your career? I actually love talking about this because I think people, the way I hear it spoken about is so unhelpful. Yeah. So um, to me, sales is not about selling. It's about helping people. And I feel the same with networking. It's not about what you can get. It's about what you can give. Yes. And so when you walk into a meeting or any room, the first thing I think about, no matter who I'm meeting, is I wonder how I can help them. Yep. And it's coming from a sincere place. Totally. And one, it gives me pleasure and joy. And it's like fun to be the first mover. But also, that's how you connect with people. That's how you learn more about them. They'll start asking questions. They're going to care about you because they feel cared about. And so if you walk into a meeting and you see somebody has a kid uh, wearing a baseball uniform. Oh, is that your son or who is that? Do you love baseball? Like just ask questions. Yeah. Instead of going in thinking like I have to impress them. I have to tell them about myself. I have to sell this. It's very formal and structured and I, yeah. You're never going to win that way. No, it's And that's what we're taught. I was taught that. I was too. You know? Pencil. I, I always think of like the pencil skirt, like not physically, although sometimes I did wear pencil skirts, but it was like that kind of energy of like button up, play by the rules this is yeah like you send a message on LinkedIn yeah yeah and everybody's human right so I think if you think about how you can help them not to like belabor the point but ask a great question that means something you're gonna form a relationship and make a moment with them versus trying to get something like when I email I had um somebody who over time I think maybe became my mentor it was never like you know official but these things never are. Right? Yeah. <laughs> They're never like, you are now my mentee. Right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. But I would, Catholic school. <laughs> yeah. I would email him articles I read that I thought would be interesting to him about mm. um, TV news or about something we had spoken about. And so our relationship became beneficial to both of us instead yeah. of just me. Which I literally, my next question was, one of the things I hear from people early in their career or students, yeah. they're like, how can I help this person? That's literally something I recommend and something I did of, oh, hey, and the informational interview I asked you for, which we, you know, sat down for a half hour and you were yeah. kind enough to ask, you know, answer some questions I had about your career. I remember, yeah, you talked about your, I don't know, your love of the Pittsburgh Steelers. And hey, did you see that they just traded this part? Like, you know, it's, yeah, it's great. I've had probably a hundred phone calls with, young women to young men over the course of my career at this point, maybe more. Who are coming to you to ask questions? Yes. Yeah. One person sent me a thank you. And I don't... Wow. I'm not upset about it because to each their own. Right. But, but I think a thank you note 
oh my God, goes such a long way. Even a thank you email. In 2022, I could not agree more. Yeah. I did an informational interview every single week of my senior year of college. And even if, yeah, it was the middle of finals, I was like, thank you for taking time. I really appreciate it. Yeah. I probably attached my resume. And I was like, let me know if there's anything I can do or any opportunities you know for me. Yeah. Oh, man. Really? Yeah. So I think just little things really go a long way. I'm really, I'm not surprised that like a good chunk of them didn't, but only one out of a yeah. hundred. Wow. I know. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I have to sit with that for a bit. I'm like, I'm shocked. <laughs> I also grew yeah. up in a household where my mom was like, you writing a thank you note for anything. Yeah, it's nice. You write a thank you note for a thank you note. I'm uh, like. Yeah, that's my grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> my mom was like, I don't care. You, you get a $10 check, you're writing a thank you note. So, I'm like, all right. That's okay. nice. It's good practice. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, one person. Yeah, I know. Write a thank you note, guys. <laughs> oh, man. We talked a bit briefly about this kind of, not only the pay inequity in journalism, but just the lack of opportunities. Yeah. Have you been in workplaces where you knew for a fact that you were paid less? Yes. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I quit my job because of it. Uh-huh. We're, we're certain we're we, we might have known that oh we're yeah for a question but yeah talk to me a bit about that experience were you able to advocate for yourself like how did you even discover you were you were not being paid and compensated fairly because I feel again yeah. common question for me is it's like I just discovered or I have a I have an inkling that Chad is making more money but he has been here two years less than I have yeah yeah help talk to me I actually don't know if I handled any of this right. I think about it all the time. So uh, I, use I this story actually, as a teachable moment. No, but moment. here it's beautiful, even if I don't know if any of this is correct. It, you get, yeah. yeah. It's, it's great to talk about. And I appreciate you you being vulnerable of like, maybe I didn't do it Well, correctly. I think we all have to talk about it so we can learn from each yes. other's mistakes, yes. you know? Um, so I was living in L.A., off my credit cards <laughs> and I get Blacked this out for five seconds. Right. Yes. I get this job opportunity in Chicago to host a morning show. And, uh, I had fallen in love for the first time. And so I did not want to move because I was like, I'm oh, in so love. You're, you're like in LA, yes. you got an opportunity in Chicago. You're like, I don't want to leave. I don't want to yeah. leave. I'm in love. Also, I finally like, it took me years to set my life up in LA. Mm. And I had a woman that I really admire call me and say, a, if he's the right guy, he'll be the right guy in two years. He was not the right guy. We always find it out, don't we? We find out. Yeah. And B, like, if you can cover the, uh, like, if you can cover a funeral of a mayor in Chicago, you can cover Michael Jackson's funeral. Like, go take this job mm. and get the practice that you need. She was right on both accounts. Did it feel like a step back for you? Because you were in Chicago and then moved to L.A., right? Or is yeah, it felt. I mean, you were in you were in Wisconsin. Uh, so I was, but I grew up in Chicago. Okay, got it. Went to Wisconsin for school, moved to LA, lived in a garage, and then ended up moving mm. back to Chicago for this job. Got it. Yeah. So did it feel a bit like a step backward? I don't know. I think I was excited about the opportunity, okay. but it was scary to leave LA. Yeah. Um, like, would I ever come back? And I like took this big risk to move there. Right. Well, in LA, I feel like is bigger than the city, right? It's like the promise of what Los Angeles is, right? Yes, that is a great point. Like, I went to the gym this morning and met Childish Gambino, a.k.a. Donald Glover. What? And like, no. that doesn't what? happen, uh, not in LA. <laughs> no, you did not. Do you love him? I oh my God. <laughs> Tori, you're having an actual I bad meltdown. Like, this isn't an acting moment. Are you crying? Tori. <laughs> kindest oh i can't believe you're actually crying are you this good of an actress or are no, you for I'm real actually crying. I got so <laughs> this is incredible now i'm sweating I, okay, i'm sorry we have to pause you tell me everything <laughs> we was at the gym what gym i'll show up tomorrow what gym it's a small training gym so he was, okay he was about to work out with a trainer okay but he was was he have the beard how long was his hair like uh, he shaved head had oh, the beard okay okay um, cool so present kind of ask he was. questions yeah, great beyond lovely spirit 
like wonderful. I mean, did you go up to him? Did you talk to him? I mean, it was like a thirty second interaction. Yeah, maybe but you were like, hello. Yeah. No. How, how, what, what did you say? What did he say? <laughs> <laughs> like we talked about Chicago and Atlanta, uh-huh. and he. I was like, do you feel he, like he does? Um, he does have a show called Atlanta. Yes. So I said, yeah. do, do people feel like it's a love letter to the city? And we were just talking about cities and where. Oh, you because grew of up course you're an interviewer. You're like, let me drop some some great interview. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> So, anyways. I don't even remember what we were talking about. I need, I need like, a second. No, please take one. <laughs> How funny, because, like, it could have been anybody and you love him. Sunrise before I walked in here. Why do you love him so much? It's really interesting, because there's still a lot, like, I'll be honest with you. I've only yeah. seen, like, an episode of Atlanta. Okay. Like, but I got really into community during quarantine. And he was great in that. also got really into his music. Mm-hmm. And like 3005 was my most played song of last year. And it like got me through some shit. Like, I don't even know why. Because that song's just a bop. And then it's like one of my (laughs) favorite. (laughs) One of my favorite. This is like a whole deep dive. One of my favorite things about art or one of my favorite kinds of art is art that is just entertainment. Yeah. But that if you want to strip it back, you can. Mm -hmm. So The Great Gatsby is my favorite book. Because if you just read Great Gatsby, it's just a great, it's an entertaining book yep. where it's like, it's got murder and it's got, you know, lust lust and, and intrigue and fashion. yeah, and people growing yeah. up together and like, you know, leaving and then coming back and fashion and all these things, right? Parties. But then, of course, you can do the like English class shit of what is this, is, you know, what is the green light symbolize and like what is the, you know, the clock on Gatsby's mantle, like all of that shit. And I feel like he does a beautiful job of making music that is so like infectious and so fun. Mm-hmm. And then if you want, you can strip it really back. So like 3005, even that is the title is supposed to be symbolic of the infinity symbol. Mm. Usually you have three and five. And if you were to like close the loops cool. on those, it becomes the infinity symbol. Because yeah. he talks about, you know, be right by your side till 3005. And it's just like, it's just so smart. And that's my favorite He's, kind of like art or entertainment yeah. where it's like, you can just do surface level and it fucking slaps. Or you can do more intentional, like deep dive stuff and mm-hmm. it's still so good. Yeah. So that's what I... Oh, that was awesome. That's so cool, I'm so dude. glad we brought that up. Me too. <laughs> I usually I'm never so, drop those types of things. So that was sorry. great. That was, oh, I'm still like, okay. It's Ooh, so good. That's so fun. Yeah. I don't even remember what we were talking about. What was I talking about? I don't know. Oh, the promise of LA. Up. Yes. Okay. So, yes, LA does have like a a thing. Yeah. So it's, I'm, yeah, it's more than just like I'm moving to a new city. It's like yeah. I've made it. Yep. Yeah. I moved to Chicago. I take this morning show job. Yes. And the person, the male co-host that they hired, we had tested together. So we had each other's cell phone numbers and like we're friendly. Oh, I didn't even think about that would make it. It's never occurred to me that you have to test with your co-host. Yeah. I don't know why I didn't think about that. It's very like theater. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You have to test Um, with your co-host. You audition. Yeah. Because there's like a chemistry test. Um, I don't know why I didn't. ah, That's so obvious. But I don't know why I didn't take. Yeah, because it's like sometimes you're right for the role. But you don't test well with this other person. Totally. Right? Or yeah. they're right, but you don't test well with or whatever. Yep. Oh, interesting. Okay. I didn't even think about that, but that's so obvious. Okay. Yeah. So uh, we were chatting during this whole process, and he told me what uh, he was getting, and I told him what I was getting. And so I went into negotiations knowing that what they offered me was like so much less, mm. and then when uh, we tried to push for more, it was like, take it or leave it. And I did, I had like a a long conversation, not just with myself, but with other people, because I thought, okay, so if I think I was making $105,000 and he told me he was making like $170,000. Oh, so it's not. It was a third, if not more. 105 to 170. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like five or 10,000. It was. No, no, it was significant. Oh my God. And I think it's important to be pragmatic about these things too. Like, I don't think it's fair to not assess other variables. So, like, for instance, is does he have more followers? No. Right. Does he have more years of more experience? Years of experience? Right. No. 
Mm-hmm. Does he have, like, you know, what are you bringing to the table? Because those do matter. Does he have a master's degree and I don't. Exactly. Like, yeah. And it, and that matters. I don't think it's fair when people don't take those things into account regardless right. of gender. Uh, and it ruins our argument as women, <laughs> to it be does. honest. Yeah. So the only thing he did have was he was a few years older than me. Um, but he had started later in broadcast because he was an athlete at one point. And mm. so it, we did have commensurate experience in years. Yeah. So I went into it knowing that, but I also said to myself, is that $65,000 going to change my life? It would help a whole hell of a lot. Like it was sort of difficult in Chicago to pay my rent and do all the things I needed to do as crazy as that sounds, but it really was, um, and be comfortable. So yes, it would have enhanced my life. Was it going to change my life? No. And I wanted the experience. I wanted to get better. Which... It's not your fault, but like, fucking, that fucking sucks. It sucks. Because it's also, I don't want to go on a whole rant about it, but yeah. it's also not just you losing out on 70K now. Oh, no. It's, I mean, right. The opportunity to make compound more in the future, interest, compound interest, all of all that. All of it. Yeah. Oh, it man. Sucks. I'm sorry. Thank you. But it was, you know, there's no silver lining. It sucked. So <laughs> I uh, found that out. And then when Kat Sadler quit, I reported on that live and I remember my eyes welling up. Like I watched the clip back and if you know me well, you can see it. If you don't, you can't really tell. Yeah. Because I was sitting thinking to myself, I'm the cat. Like I feel like such a fraud right now reporting on this. And eventually my contract was up and my boss at the time, I think offered me like a three or 5% raise. And I didn't even go into it because I realized that they were never going to see my value And so they were using me and I needed to use them for what I needed. And I had done that. So my time was up and I left. Um, And honestly, the show eventually got canceled. And I don't know what would have happened had I stayed, but we had nice chemistry. And I don't know. I think it was their loss, honestly. Yeah. I was a really good employee. I like Mm. wrote, produced. I worked really hard. So yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I'm sorry that happened. Unfortunately, I think that's all too common. It's the story of so many women and it's getting better because we're talking about it and getting better because we're helping each other. Right. But it's still not quite there. Well, that's why my big thing is like, we need to just talk about money more. Yeah. And this whole talking about money narrative is just, it's, you know, it's ridiculous. It's perpetuated by the patriarchy to keep us quiet. Don't you think it's interesting that we have, like we talk about sex way more comfortably? We literally have that on one of our episodes. We'll talk about sex. We'll talk about politics, religion, death, any other uncomfortable topic before we'll talk about money. Yep. It's so interesting. It's so, yeah. it's so taboo. We'll literally, we'll literally, I was about to say be penetrated by somebody, but like we'll literally become, we'll be naked with somebody a million times before we'll have a conversation with them about money. Oh, yeah. Crazy. Crazy. Yeah. It's the number one thing couples fight about too. Number one reason for divorce as well. Yep. Yeah. Money. I still I can't, can't be, you know, I can't get over that. <laughs> I'm trying to keep it together. I'm trying to keep it together. What we, again, briefly discussed this in terms of what you said, invisible time. Yeah. What burdens do you think women experience that men just don't in the way we have to present ourselves in the workplace? Oh, how much time do we have? I've thought about my podcast is called Pretty Smart and it's literally stems from this. <laughs> so I read a book called Beauty Sick and Dr. Renee Engelen is the author. She's a professor of psychology at Northwestern. Mm. And the book opens and says 54% of women would rather be hit by a truck than considered fat. And when I read that. One more time. 54% of women would rather be hit by a truck than considered fat. Considered fat by whom? Do we know? Society, men, I'm assuming, themselves? Yeah, considered. Wow. Great follow-up, though. So when I read that, my heart sunk because in high school, I would have for sure said hit by a car or I would have been like, mm. how fast is the car going? Yeah. Or like, is it a truck <laughs> or a Prius? What is, have you watched Fleabag? Have you ever seen Yo, Fleabag? Yeah. Yeah, I it's like Phoebe the like, what is it worse? Just like, I'd gladly take a year off your life to be, what is it, 10 pounds? And both of them were like, yes. Right. And then they realized no one else is raising their hands. Yeah, it's that, right? And it's also extremely fat phobic, which I think is very Horrible. important to, yeah. to highlight. Yeah. But also, I think in the time that we were growing up, like, 
I didn't even know any of those words. Like fat phobic wasn't even a word when I was no. in high school. Like no. Paris Hilton was the thing. And like now we know that all the people that we were looking at in magazines, like for the most part have come out and said they have eating disorders, like issues with drugs, like all those things were right. not attainable. And also money with which to invest in. Right. Exactly. Chefs and trainers and drivers yeah. and all of these things to make them make makeup artists, Botox, all of yeah. these things. Yeah. But the book Beauty Sick, if anybody's more interested in this topic, we'll like, is it. kind we'll of life changing. Um, but yes, the podcast is based on that because I've also experienced it in my career. It's definitely amplified the amount of hours and time and money and just like focus that I have to spend on clothing and having the perfect shoes. And the per I realized that I didn't like packing for trips. I would get anxiety for trips when most men would be excited to go on vacation. And most women can't pack. They freak out. Like almost all of my friends, my mom, I had this at one point. I've since fixed it because you have to have the perfect outfit. Like you have to have the right outfit for like the beach and then the right outfit for dinner and the right outfit for this. And it's like with Instagram, that's amplified. Well, and you can't because God forbid you repeat an outfit. Right. <laughs> Which is such bullshit for so many reasons. But if you let go of that, your life is so much better. Totally. But also society refuses to allow us to let that go, right? Because right, like, it's our currency. Right. Yeah. Because if I show up at work, if I were to show up at this interview, non-made up, I yeah. would get comments that would say, she looks tired. She looks tired. She looks unprofessional. Right. So it's like the double standard of like the very thing that we get shamed for as women, which is like, you spend too much time on your hair. You spend too much time on your makeup. Is like the then it's thing. So interesting. The thing yeah. that then is a double standard. I saw a video online the other day. An outlet I used to work for did so. I like follow them still, even though I normally wouldn't follow them. They did a, a like a three minute video on Ken, if Kendall Jenner had gotten lip filler or not because people online recently thought she did. And I was about like thirty seconds into the video, thinking to myself, I've never seen a video similar to this about a man questioning if he had surgery or not. The idea of whether she did or not, like, who the F cares? And also, the fact that we're talking about it is making whoever's watching this think, do, do I, I need, need lip, lip filler? filler? <laughs> but I will say that one thing, I literally talked about this with Victoria last week, so it's so funny. We, we're picking on the Kardashians a little bit because they're an easy target, unfortunately. But I do think one of the issues, though, with celebrity, with fame, with like being professionally hot yeah, is that people who are professionally hot very rarely actually discuss what went into them becoming professionally hot. But there's so much misogynism oh, built into totally. that. I completely agree. Right. However, if I'm a young girl, if I'm me looking yeah. at Kendall Jenner going like, oh my God, she's so beautiful. And I'm thinking that's attainable. It weirdly, I agree with you hundred percent on your three points you just made. I also think there is a potential where I'm watching that video and going, oh, so it isn't obtainable. And that comforts me in a weird way. Yeah, totally. I agree there should be transparency, but yeah. we don't have the same obsession no, with agreed. men's appearance. We have obsession with their money. Yeah. Which is also <laughs> not fair. Yep. That's a lot of pressure for them. It's not fair. Like, I, I, I yeah. really, like, I think if we're stripping away gender issues for women, we should strip them for men too. Yeah. Masculinity and, and, Undefining masculinity affects All of men that. as much as it affects women. When you look at money magazines, I actually did this in Chicago. I held up all the like most famous magazines of men on the cover and women, the women were almost all in bikinis or like really skimpy clothes. Sometimes and naked. And the men, yeah. And the men were all in suits looking really dapper with a briefcase. Like it was about power versus sex. They're like crossing their arms or it's, yeah, totally. Mm. Yeah. I think it like shows our value system so blatantly. Yeah. Well, and we're we're okay with men having money and we applaud men who have money. But when women have the audacity to say, yes, I would like to be rich. I would like money. We shame her. Do we? Like, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. I feel like we don't like Bethany money. Sarah Blakely. We're like, you go. Well, I believe Bethany. Is Bethany a white woman? Both of them are white women. Yeah. So that's one thing. Pat is, McGrath. Sure. I think what happens, though, is either women who have money become caricatures, Real Housewives, right? They become caricatures of, you know, women who have money mm -hmm. where they're catty and they're yelling at each other and they're, you know, having frivolous Beverly Hills lunches where they scream, you know. 
Or what happens, which is what I've experienced, Mm -hmm. is this double standard of altruism. Hmm. So... Oh, the idea like you can't negotiate for yourself, but you can negotiate for your team. Yes. Or I can't want money just because it makes my life better. I have to want money for a higher purpose. Now, I want to be clear. Donating. 100%. Like, that's what financial feminism is to me, is it's like, get your own shit together so that you can help others. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, get your own financial foundation and bring everybody else along for the ride. Right. I 100% believe that. I think donating, especially if you've built some sort of wealth, is extremely important and something that I 100% do. That being said, we do not have that same expectation for men. Mm-hmm. My my TikTok comments every time I talk about money or me building wealth is immediately like, yeah, but what are you donating? Hmm. Immediately. And I'm not seeing this for men. Yeah, I agree with that point. So I it's do. like you have you have to be we like weaponize women's altruism, mm-hmm. which is a beautiful trait that I think a lot of we're conditioned to have as women. Right. right? But then we weaponize it. So we're like, OK, we're only OK with you having money as long as you do something good with, with it, it. Yeah. right or like we're only okay with you being a ceo as long as your company does something that's fascinating do you think that the media women consume is belittled mm. what an interesting question or stigmatized what do you think what media are women consuming when i wrote this question when we wrote this question yeah it was more i think you've talked about how like pop culture is kind of a currency right or having the knowledge of that mm-hmm. But yet I feel like that is not as impressive, right? Or that is, you're almost demeaned if you have. Yeah. Like if you can answer all of the Jeopardy questions about The Bachelor, but you can't answer all the questions about, you know. That's funny. The capitals of the world, you know. I don't know if I would put those on the same playing field. I know what you're saying, but it's sort of like. I think if we're, if we're being stereotypical about what men and women are watching, which I think yeah. we have to be for a minute. I'm putting, yeah. I mean, right? it's, I'm, it's I'm, like video I'm games versus pop culture. Or sports versus. Sports yeah. is a great one. Yeah. Yeah. Sports versus The Bachelor is a great example. I think. And again, we're being very stereotypical. We are playing into very stereotypical gender roles for this thought experiment. But totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love that you're into like sociopolitical stuff. So this is fun <laughs> for me to do with you. I do think it's belittled in that sense. Like sports is um, is thought of as having more gravitas. Like it's okay to be really into sports. It's okay to bet on sports. It's okay to cry when the right. football team loses. <laughs> <laughs> the only acceptable, acceptable, I'm putting acceptable in quotes, time for men to cry is when your team loses and when your dad dies. Like, oh, my God. Two times. Yeah. Just watch the the movie Rudy and you're good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, Tin cup. My dad every time will cry every time. I agree. But at the same time, if I'm being fully honest, I think The Bachelor is so stupid and I don't think sports are stupid. So from a personal I think perspective, the as well. <laughs> you but know? my best friend, who's my favorite person in the entire world, like loves The Bachelor. But yeah, so do a lot of my friends, and we we fight about it because I'm like, you're like playing into all of this stuff that's so bad for women in our society, and they're like, I work 50 hours a week. I just want to turn my brain off, and I right. ju- and I'm like, okay, fine, you're right, enjoy. Right. But I feel like you know, I used to. Um, it's actually I forgot I used to do this until just now. When I worked at a hardware store, yeah, like it was my summer job so in cool. between in college. And I would, you know, be sitting, if I didn't have a customer, I'd be sitting, you know, reading the news because that was the only thing you like could do. You can be on social media, but I'm like, okay, I can read the news. Right. And I'd go to like Google News and I'd read the headlines and then I would scroll until I got to like pop culture. Yeah. I didn't read politics. I didn't read anything. I was like 19 and I was like, I just want to know like what movies are being made, who's talking to who, who's dating who. Yeah. And I feel like that is largely read by women, one. And two... I don't know. Like the Shade Room now, I think they have a very male audience. Do you think so? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I might be wrong. Maybe it's changing. Do you feel like it is? Do you feel like it's transitioning? Because I feel like your knowledge of these things, like if I bring out at a cocktail party, you know, like as more stereotypical, I guess, like a thoughtful, like, you know, people who are more academic, my knowledge of, I'm trying to think, again, like community, right? right? Or like my knowledge of... I don't know who won the best picture Oscar for the last 20 years is less quote unquote impressive than the more academic. You're right. I I mean, I used to have like a big insecurity about that when I did entertainment news because that's what I mean. Right. It's like you're not I maybe it's not legit a journalist. Right. If you're not doing like the hardcore like you're reporting on wars and you're 
I don't know. But I then did pieces on <clears throat> gun violence and for Planned Parenthood. And I realized like, it was harder to put those pieces together. I did have to do more research and learn yeah. more. Like yeah. there, there is a difference and that's okay. Like it's okay to be into frivolous stuff and it's okay. Like if we're calling sports and entertainment frivolous. Well, like, we're putting frivolous in quotes. Yeah. You know, um, but yes, like I actually just had a job interview for a, like a serious network and the guy mm. called me a red carpet girl. Which like which girl? First of all, you're not a girl. You're a goddamn woman. Jesus for Christ! Sure. I hate it when they do that. So, but yeah, it felt that Belittling. felt demeaning, condescending. Yeah, because yeah. red carpets are what? Like I don't know, but it's this like. Not as would you say or... that if I was on the sidelines at on a football at a football stadium, which I have been, right? But yeah, I don't know. Mm. So yeah, I, there's definitely a pieces of that for sure. Or even beyond football, but yeah, are you saying that if I'm in war torn? Well, then he's Syria. definitely not saying that. Right. But also that's harder. Yeah, no, sure. 100%. <laughs> sure. You know. Talking to Leo, Leo DiCaprio is slightly easier than totally. fearing for your safety every, yeah. every moment. No, that's valid. That's valid. What do you hope for the future of journalism? Oh, man. This question is really uh, meaningful to me because I believe in our democracy i'm like a real patriot mm. i always have been the card deck i made is made in america even though it costs like 10 times more it was really important to me yeah i believe in the power of the press i wouldn't be a journalist if i didn't believe in it and i have worked alongside some incredibly talented people journalists don't make a lot of money for the most part and they spend so much time at their job. Like if we broke down how many hours we work versus what we're like, the actual pay is not very high. These people not just love what they do, but also do it as a public service in a lot of ways, specifically local journalists. The issue with journalism and fake news is money. It is the system behind news, the system behind media that makes media run. And so my hope is that somehow we can figure out how to fix how money and media coexist. I don't know how to do it. It is the ad revenue that is the issue. Right. Well, and so much of media is owned by people who have billions of dollars mm -hmm. and who are actively swaying elections. Yes. with those billions of dollars. Yes. And are not just, of course, donating to these campaigns, but are using their media outlets to continue pushing an agenda. There's so many like great examples of this, but I think Trump having been so bombastic during his campaign in 2016 I forgot the exact, I don't have any exact statistics clearly on this podcast, but the ex this stat was like the amount of media coverage he received by being bombastic equated to like hundreds of millions of dollars. Oh, yeah. And he just did that. Like the press well, played into it. Because it felt like a it. reality show because yeah. that's what he did for what 15 years was host reality shows. And so when he said something crazy, yep. especially in under the guise of like, this is the uh, race for the presidency, which is supposed to be at a level of decorum. Right. Right. And so he would say crazy shit and we would all lose our goddamn minds over it. But the press played into it. Totally. And they well, played because into it got it clicks. Because it got clicks right. and eyeballs. And so how do we separate those things? I don't know. Well, it's the conversation about how do you separate money and politics? They're so That's also the issue with, but that's also the fundamental issue with politics. Like right. democracy is actually amazing. It's just how do you take overspending? Right. You know? How do we give regular people a chance to become politicians? Well, and how do you allow regular people and their vote and what they believe to actually have a sway as opposed to, again, these billionaires who can just go in and dump a bunch of money? But that's where you come in. We got to figure out the money piece. Oh, I'm trying. I'm trying slowly but surely. Yeah. Anything else that I didn't ask you that you want to add? No. Thanks for being here. I appreciate it. You're such it. a great interviewer. Thank you. Thank you. That's so kind. Where can people find out more about you? At Danielle Robay, R-O-B-A-Y on everything. And uh, the question everything card deck is on my Instagram and on Shopify. And it's... I'll have to snag one. I'm excited. 
cool. I'll send you one. It's the oh, it's the thanks. best thing I've ever done. Oh, yay. I love that. Cool. We'll link it. Thank you for being here. Thanks, Tori. Thank you so much again to Danielle for sitting down with us. Make sure to check out Pretty Smart wherever you get your podcasts. I'm also on the show. We did a little show swap. So feel free to check out my episode as well as her other episodes. And follow Danielle on Instagram at Danielle Robay, R-O-B-A-Y. And also check out her question card deck. It's called Question Everything, 52 Cards for Deeper Conversation. As always, everything is linked in the show notes. Uh, I'm going to do a nice seamless transition here and say if you would like to be the most sophisticated, interesting, well-rounded person in the room, well, one of the ways you can do that is continuing to learn and continuing to know more about the topics you're going to talk about. And that's part of why we build the show notes for you all is we don't want you to just listen for an hour. We want you to be able to dig in deep. We give you so much more research, ways to connect again with our guests, more information about how to better your money, all of that linked at financialfeministpodcast.com or at least in the description for this episode. So please check that out. Also, um, Donald Glover, if you listen to this episode, no, you did not. Thank you for listening to Financial Feminist, a Her First 100K podcast. Financial Feminist is hosted by me, Tori Dunlap, produced by Kristen Fields, marketing and administration by Karina Patel, Olivia Koning, Sharice Wade, Alina Helzer, Paulina Isaac, Sophia Cohen, Valerie Oresco, Jack Koning, and Anna Alexandra. Research by Ariel Johnson. Audio engineering by Austin Fields. Promotional graphics by Mary Stratton. Photography by Sarah Wolf. And theme music by Jonah Cohen Sound. A huge thanks to the entire Her First 100K team and community for supporting the show. For more information about Financial Feminist, Her First 100K, our guests, episode show notes, and our upcoming book, also titled Financial Feminist, visit herfirst100k.com.